Welcome back to another episode of Screensaver, a Friends from Work film and TV podcast. A podcast that's normally hosted by Kyle Sconewell, myself, and my longtime friend Robbie Earl. But today is guest hosted by another longtime friend of mine. Longer. Longer. Hey, you listening, Robbie? Longer. <laughs> Love you, Robbie. Steven Matthew. Steven! Hello, hello. Claps Welcome. for me. Hi, everybody. This is, guys, I got to say this. This feels like the fans, we broke, we broke down the wall. We got in. Because, <laughs> yes, I'm a longtime friend, but I am a longtime fan of this incredible podcast. We did it, guys. We did it. This is for all of you listening. We are in here. <laughs> it's possible. It can happen to it you. It can happen to you. Steven and I go way, way back, and there are a few reasons why I wanted to ask him on this particular episode. Mm. One... It's been so good to reconnect with you recently, which That's is true. fun. But we were in college together. You were in my wedding. And I have a distinct memory of you and I going to the Opry Mills IMAX and watching Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol in 2011, which you don't have a memory of, but we definitely did do. <laughs> and your memory's Because tough. my memory's even better. And I remember <laughs> us seeing Avatar circa 2000, name it, name the year. Uh, uh, Ten? It's nine? nine eight? I'm guessing. Eight or I'm nine, guessing. yeah. Don't tell Robbie that, by the way. Robbie is not an Avatar fan. Oh. So, yeah, careful. we'll avoid that. <laughs> we'll avoid that. Anyways, also, you have worked basically my entire life in video live events. You have a good eye for film and, and video uh, stuff. And, and there were just so many times in our life that we would just look at each other and just give each other the eye of like, man, you know exactly what I'm get thinking. It. Like in so many ways, you're my other counterpart. Yes. There's like 18 words being said with this blink. Long lost brother. Thank from, you. From a different mother. It's a true statement. There have been many times we've looked at each other or like that knee shake thing we do. <laughs> yes. <where> it's like, <laughs> I've now stolen that and used it on Robbie. Yeah. So don't be mad. But All yes, right. that's, that's from us. Don't worry. Like I said, I've heard... I've listened to the podcast. I know what you guys do. And that's the last detail <laughs> is that while you are one of my best friends and you are somewhat joking, you are also not joking in that you have been a big supporter of friends from work and you have been one of my closest friends to bounce ideas off of with friends from work. That's right. And so now full circle, here you are. That's true. Watching, watching uh, what you guys have done. Ooh, this is gonna be a little sentimental moment. Watching what you guys have done all these years wow. is extremely proud as a friend. Uh, couldn't be more excited, supportive. Wow. Um, yeah, we've we talked about this in the early, early days of, you know, what is a podcast to now. So everybody cool. should have a Steven in their life, hmm. a friend that is close that you can dream with. You're my dreaming friend. Hmm. And uh, it is wild. To, we, we won't get into that, but yeah. it is wild to look back now, like 10 years later and see kind of where we're at and what we're doing and what you're doing. We're Anyways. lucky. We're lucky. We're lucky. We're lucky. Today we're talking about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Your mission, Part 1, should you choose to accept it, is help me break down this film. Wow. What 
a screener experience. Oh my gosh. Whoa. Guys, my first screener, my first like Kyle does this on the weekly. He's like a <laughs> pro. He walks in. Everyone's like, Kyle, welcome back. Welcome back. I'm like, <laughs> what is this? What's going on? Just kidding. No one called his name, but they gave him well, the eye. They gave him the head nod. Yeah. Yeah. It's one like, person at the front. Yeah. You know, eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what an experience. Here on Screensaver, Stephen, we like to talk about what we're talking about, why are we talking about it, and how did it do? Hmm, nice. And today we're talking about Dead Reckoning Part 1. Part 2 coming next summer already. Definitely the Infinity War to Endgame. Definitely the Part 1 here. But why are we talking about it? I already told you that we have history going back to 2011 with this series. But I have even longer history than that. In that I have been a massive fan of these films for a long time. And as some of our Friends From Work Plus listeners know, Robbie and I are working on a Friends From Work Plus episode covering all the other Mission Impossible films and going back through those. So you're going to want to check that out Cannot before you wait. watch this. Cannot wait. But, yeah, you know, Mission Impossible 1 was revolutionary for the time. We looked it up in the car in 1996. I still remember it. If you go back and watch it now, you'd be shocked. The CGI is obviously a little wonky. Yeah, it's not the same. But, but... It was pretty good for 1996. Watch, this is how this is how groundbreaking that movie was. Name the one scene, the only thing that matters from that movie that everyone thinks of when they think of that movie. Three, two, uh, one, go. Uh, hanging down by the rope with the lasers there it in, is. The, in the computer. There it is. Okay, okay. What movie can do yeah. something like that? What an unbelievable start to the franchise. I was so obsessed with it that literally in fourth grade, my friend that I would yell, red light. Green light. Because remember, he had the gum you had to mash together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, loved it. Mission Impossible 2 is not a good film. It, it, they took a totally different direction. It's the only one of the franchise that kind of sidesteps. But if you go back and watch Mission Impossible 3 now, directed by J.J. Abrams mm. in the era when J.J. Abrams was doing everything. Mm. Wow. That's the first time you're, you're like, this movie has entered the modern era. And then from that point on, Ghost Protocol one of the greatest yeah. movies I've ever seen in IMAX. Yeah. Then Christopher McQuarrie jumps on board for Mission Impossible 5, 6, and now 7 and 8. Tom obviously had a vision once Ghost Protocol came around. Oh, There yes. was a distinct a shift. shift and change of, oh, like, he saw the future of everything. I actually was watching the movie today thinking, he might be our Harrison Ford. Like, we're just going to keep seeing him age, but we're constantly happy with wherever he is at at that time. We talked about this last week on the Dial of Destiny episode. He also defines an era. Mm. Like Harrison Ford, if you go back, he owned the 80s. I mean, Fugitive, yeah. all the Indiana Jones movies, the Star Wars films. Get off Air Force way. One, exactly. That's exactly uh, what I did last uh, week. That's uh, so funny. <laughs> but Tom now, at this point, his filmography is maybe the greatest ever. I'm not being funny. No, I... Yeah, I, I mean... Most consistent. We have to be careful throwing words yes, like that around. However... This is what I think. Who is getting us out into the movies anymore? Yes, and that's where we need to start. Who is getting... I mean, I think the last time I said what we're probably going to just constantly say right now is when I just saw Maverick like a year or two... Like, it feels like yesterday, but I think it was a year or two ago when Top Gun Maverick came out. You walk out just going... That, you, right? Like, movie. Like, you, you just want to say, I love theaters. Like, before I was so comfy on the couch and I have a little miniature home theater at home. It's like, yeah, this is great. You know, Netflix, Disney Plus, I can do that all day. And then when the right thing draws you to the theater, <laughs> it's like everything, your life, you see colors differently, right? You taste differently. It was, it was so visceral. And that's what happened today again with Tom on the screen. That's the second part of the why. They just 
don't always make them like they used to. And we talked about that in the car briefly on the way over here. It's like, yes. So we, we were in a, Dol- a Dolby, uh, a, a new AMC I Dolby. I think it's called Dolby Cinema. Yeah. I think I saw that. Unbelievable. I, the floor was rumbling so much with some of these big train hits and the car hits that I asked the person afterwards, are they actually using like a rumble pad under your yeah, seat? More because than just subs. It's yeah. It, that or the subs are just cranked so loud and they're turning up 30 Hertz like crazy, but just so loud, so clear. You felt every hit. There were even almost some like jump startling moments. I won't say scares, but startles because it was oh, so loud. I noticed between you and me, I, I think I realized because you're so cool and calm watching it. I am like a crazy jumper. I'm constantly, <laughs> you probably got a little annoyed by it. Like, but those rumbles and the, the hits and everything. I mean, that car chase scene. Oh my gosh. What? And that's why I'm saying the why. We have to put the emphasis on there's just something to the visceral nature of the stunts because Tom's doing them, the imagination of how to come up with different stunts, like that little hallway fight, like we haven't seen getting the camera even inside that wall, whatever it is, the, the visceral nature of the way they're able to film it because he is doing the stunt. Like when his parachute lands, it's actually him doing it. So it looks realistic with him doing it. There's something about the sound, the action, the movie, the set, the visual that just, yeah, it feels like the theater. It does. What did you say when we, when I had asked that, I was like, why does he look so cool doing like landing on a parachute? I think you turned and said, it's because he's actually doing it. He's the guy that's been doing it for 20 years. He can fly an actual airplane. So when he does the real thing, he just looks kind of boring doing it because he's so it's the it's him. They're not having to fake it at all. And this is where I want to I literally implore our listeners. (laughs) If you like a good action series, in my opinion. I gotta be careful. Maybe outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe has just not been as consistent of a franchise in my entire lifetime. Period. Oh, that's a there that's are a given. ups and downs with Bond. Like I loved a lot of the Daniel Craig stuff, but there are there have been ups and downs. Uh, there's ups and downs to Harry Potter, but again, Mission Impossible Two is not great. I bet, and I haven't fact checked this. Mission Impossible Four, Five, Six, Seven, and now this one. Or sorry, this is now seven. Are all in the nineties on Rotten Tomatoes? I guarantee you. And there's just something different to the consistency of this franchise. And so I know a lot of our listeners actually haven't seen these movies. I can't recommend it more strongly. If you're into the action stuff, you need to get on this train while you can, pun intended. Hey. You have to. No, I, you can't miss this moment. I, I think it could be healthier if we were like in disagreements, but right now <laughs> I all I can do is agree. The, the fact that he is... Okay, what is the central figure of why this is so great? Tom. Tom Cruise. The whole time, I'm just like, there he goes. There's Tom being Tom. Yeah. Right? How <laughs> yeah, many times I so- turn and go, run, Tom. Just run. Because <laughs> when you're running, everything's great in life. <laughs> Every movie he's in, he's just running with that same Tom run, and it's it just creates magic on the screen. His creativity, his ability to like fully go for it, he's like all in, right? He doesn't half, you know, half A it. He goes full bore. Full Tom Cruise, he gives it his all. I think he like now has his hand a little bit on the oh, writing, just a hair. He has his hand on the producing, just a hair. So much so to direct it enough to go, hey, I'm going to bring in the right people. He's and he's consistent. 
So he's always got his boy Ving Rhames with him, right? Mm-hmm. The consistency is incredible. He's got him, and then what they've done is over time, especially in this in this movie, as you can see, now we have enough films, right? From three, four, five, six, now seven, you said. You can kind of start seeing he'll introduce a character, and then they'll show up the next movie, and then, come on, we got to change things up, and they'll kind of have a little crossover. So that character mm-hmm. might pass or mm-hmm. do something heroic for the franchise and then move on, and then we'll bring in somebody else. Now we have Simon Pegg. A little humor works off of Ving Rhames. I hope he stays, but you know what? It'll be incredible. It's the right amount of connected. Exactly. But things cross over. Now, unfortunately, and I don't mean to bring this up, I know it's a sort of subject for well, you. We'll get into this. But but your girl, you know, your girl. Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson. Ilsa. She may or may not have, uh, you know, had the crossover moment. <laughs> and him bringing on his bud, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, those two together, I know, are doing a ton of this stuff. Is that I the don't director? know. The, yeah, yeah. He directed these last three now. And he's doing the last one. And I don't necessarily know the business arrangement there, but every time you see them, like when Tom Post going to the movies, it's with with Christopher. Oh. And I think he I don't I don't know this. Does this he guy have a, half of something? Does he have a background outside of Mission Impossible? Oh yeah. So he did the screenplay for Maverick. Of course. Um but yeah, oh, going, he, Jack did, Reacher. he did Edge of Tomorrow, dude, which by the way, we'll get into a whole different thing. And totally underrated sci-fi movie. Somehow agree because more. of the marketing mess ups. Just kind of flew under the radar, but it's actually unbelievable. I think it has like 95% in Rotten Tomatoes. It's incredible. That film is incredible. So, El Valkyrie. Okay, so Christopher's been with him for a long time, but now doing these last Mission Impossible films, there's just a special magic there between between the two of them, and uh, it just works. So that's the why. Let's get into a couple just individual sequences that were just so thrilling. First of all, the first car chase was, I mean, that did something to me. Oh, my gosh. The little car. The moment, okay, we turned to each other and we couldn't understand that moment when the, they kind of like try to figure it out. It almost is like a Bond car for a second. Yes. And then he gets control of it and drives it into the wall immediately. And that moment he has with her explaining like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, that's okay, not, I still don't know that part though. Right. That's a big question mark that we kind of need more people's input to like understand what they experience for it to all make sense. Legit message us because we... In our screener, again, we can't bounce this off anybody else at this time. We didn't catch that. Was he trying to say he was actually, like, showing some vulnerability there? Was he insecure? Was the car AI controlled for a second, I thought, but then they never followed oh, up on that? Oh, you brought that up because when she got control of the car, she was driving. That was amazing how they switched seats. Yeah, yeah. When she's driving, you caught something I didn't catch at the time. You whispered, like, oh, she said, "I'm dri- who's driving now? And it made you think, like, Whoa. oh, is this the AI thing taking over, blah, blah, blah. It didn't pan out. It no. didn't come to fruition. We're probably but. just missing something really obvious. That's usually what happens. Or these- did you notice they inserted just a little extra humor throughout the film? Or had they been doing that recently? Well, was that an effort to, yeah. I, yeah, I think that could have been like a. But it wasn't, moment. it almost wasn't funny. It was like a, it was almost like a vulnerable moment or something. I don't know. Anyways, the actual chase was thrilling. In our theater, uh, the car that Palm Clementiev was driving, that giant oh tank gosh. basically, it was so loud. And yeah, it just, it brought joy to my heart to see that. And that's the whole point of Mission Impossible, I think, is these individual set pieces that were so thrilling. Oh, well, let's do that. Talk about the very beginning of the movie. I loved the intro of the film with the submarine and then the whole trick of the intro- the introduction to the AI. I literally in my notes wrote, an AI sub? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but that was really clever. The oh, missile it- then coming back around, then thinking they were going to get hit, then later getting hit. It like- was genius the whole time. I mean, it actually felt like very classic filmmaking. Did you notice that? Like, the 
So it's the Russian for an October type. Yes, stuff. it was like Russian submarine. They think they're you know hunting their enemy. Okay, they have a lock on it. They're all, but then now they're locked on. So now they're all bracing for impact. Yep. And the way like it cut to all the people and they're sweating and they're freaking out and they're zooming in every time they make a new cut yep. back to the next person. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is classic filmmaking. But obviously, classic modern filmmaking is it didn't come true, right? They're like, wait. Let's freaking we, go. We, we were supposed to get hit, but we didn't. Yep. And that's when, like, the whole twist of it all began. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And then the whole AI thing. Did you catch on? How long did it take you to think to start going there? Because I Well, my first note was an AI sub. Okay, that's, okay, yeah. But, like, when when after the, the image of the sub started blinking, did you start thinking, oh. I, yeah, I didn't get exactly what was happening yeah. at first. By the way, I kind of love the whole AI of the whole thing. I don't, like, are you online a bunch? Because that's a huge talking point oh, in every single industry. I'm just glad it wasn't too much. Because okay. like, I'm like, curious about that. Ten years ago, they'd, like, make it so cheesy and be like, Right. Blah, blah, blah. Then this the AI felt, like, has a voice and it's yeah. like, you will die. Well, that's the thing. The voice of the AI was the human, the... Gabriel? Was Gabriel, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so the that's the thing. The voice of the AI this time around instead of it being 10 years ago, some fake, you know, robotic thing was Gabriel. They manifested him, you know, in human form. So he, did you notice his acting was even kind of almost robotic, but yeah, he's yeah, ultimately yeah. just human, but, yeah. you know, he believes so much in what the AI is doing almost, or maybe well, we'll, he even has those, like, uh, he had that scene where he's charging basically in that <laughs> pod. You know what I'm talking about? He's got breathing, but yes, yeah, yeah. yes, it is a nice double. <laughs> I think it's funny because 10 years ago, the AI plot thing probably would just be seen as very far-fetched. And yes, it's still a little far-fetched, but just with given the current cultural moment, I feel like people are going to watch this film and be like, this it's, is not as out there as we used to think anymore. Oh my gosh. I didn't... Okay, normally I do this when I think about films. I overthink it and I go, oh, they wrote this three years ago. Dude, ChatGPT and like the real concept of it is only six months to a year old. And it's not like Tom Cruise had like some huge access to it. Meaning, when they wrote these films a year or two to three years ago, it was still just a thought. No, maybe like no one really knew much about that. Like, do you think Tom was like, oh yeah, I know all about ChatGPT. It's on its way. Let's write about it. But now, like, here we are making an AI film that felt very of the time, is like to your point. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't think about that. Somehow, in all of these films, by the way, speaking of the AI, they find a way to do the most ridiculous set pieces and stunts, and yet somehow you leave feeling like they're mostly believable slash... Oh, yeah, absolutely. It works. What was your favorite set? I think I know. <sighs> well, just set-wise, I always appreciate the creativity. Like, even having the meeting in that AI club, quote-unquote, yes, I thought was so cool. Yes, that's what visually. I was thinking with all really? the projection mapping. Yeah. I mean, to your point, what you you know said so nicely about me, when they're coming in on that helicopter drone shot and they showed the projection mapping on the outside and inside, yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. So, like, I was going, oh, man, someone had to set up all that for literally two and a half seconds of a film shot. Well, I thought to myself, like, you could have set up the whole lighting in the actual outside, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, we could have done that whole show. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Call us, Tom. Uh, <laughs> you're available. No, but it's it, it, even as ridiculous as it gets with Tom riding a motorcycle off a cliff, parachuting to a moving train, the train falling at the end, usually in these films, 
it still feels believable, which by the way, I think there was like a single time in this film and there was a single time in Mission Impossible Fallout, the previous one, where you maybe get a little bit pulled out with the airplane, you know, crashing at the end of the last one. And right. then here we talked about, and we'll bring this up in a second, but a little bit uh, with the train sequence at the very, very end, which is still a ton of fun. But it's one of the things I really like about Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation is that almost everything fits perfectly like that that hotel climbing sequence oh absolutely you never once think like oh this wasn't done or couldn't happen you totally believe it could happen there well were I, a I found couple I times i thought i maybe got pulled out a tiny bit in this one right well i think for the most part every scene is that not kind of a mission possible thing especially the new age ones the last three or four that all the sets and scenes are physical they're real yeah. with very little cgi added yeah only for like necessary stuff but everything is touching and climbing doing Okay, but then you real. mentioned the train in this one, though. You There had to be a little bit of CGI at the end there because something looked a little bit wonky. Yeah, so I can... D okay, don't you think the train moment when it's when it's vertical and you get these incredible shots where they're hanging on for their life and you're looking through the chute, like, into the rocks and into the river that, in the mm -hmm. bottom, didn't have very much a Christopher Nolan, uh, the third Dark Knight movie, uh, Dark Knight Rises, didn't have that vibe in the plane, remember, at the beginning? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, but... But that plane felt so... That plane was 100% real. Yeah. It, whether it was or not, because I don't actually know, it was 100% real. You can't convince me otherwise. Whereas this, you know, there was that moment you're shooting down and it's like, there's something about the train swinging and yet the CGI on the ground, they didn't correspond correctly, right? So Perfectly. They're in a, they're in, yeah, it wasn't perfect. It was still very good. Oh, it was unreal. I mean, I thought the gene, dude, they ran through like what, six carts? Train carts? And yeah, every card yeah. had like a different yeah. battle. It was like a video game. Again, the creativity though of each, each yeah, yeah, each card had like the the kitchen one. Yeah, the kitchen, the was dining insane. one, the piano, yes. music one. Yeah, like the lounge. Yeah. yeah. So I guess let me just say this: I am so obsessed with Mission Impossible. I thought this movie was unbelievable. So the how for me is like, an for me a ninety six out of a hundred. The three things I'll just say this now: if I had to do three minor critiques, minor that. That like the very end visual was maybe not a hundred percent perfectly seamless at the very end with the train. That's one. The second thing would be I maybe thought again I love it. Maybe a little long, just a little long. Like I know it's two hours and forty minutes. I love more film usually, but yeah. there were a couple times where I felt like we're like dragging it out a little bit. I actually kind of agree, just barely. But and then the third thing is just that Rebecca Ferguson was not in the movie much, and then when she was, she died right away. Which I, if people listen to this podcast, they know one of the things I always ask for on this and on Friends from Work, especially in the Marvel world, is that we have meaningful deaths. If there's never a meaningful death, if we never move on, then you're missing a huge motivation for a lot of things. So I get it. Like, I'm the guy that wants people to die and have those deaths last, not always be behind a mask or right. not. But that was the one where I'm like, dang, I like her so much as a character. They passed the torch from his previous love interest so perfectly, and we never really got a chance to see them, like, live life together or do stuff yeah, together. Yeah, they kind of hid it from us as the viewer. Like, right. in this film that you had, the big moment was the 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 head on the shoulder yeah. and the hand grab in the gondola. Right, but also that's what made the first sequence so much fun when she's, like, totally. sniping people. Because, totally. like, that's what I want to see. them. They're both, like, elite agents yeah. working together and also have a relationship. And I feel like that was, I don't want to say this, but a little bit wasted. Like, To your point, the, what bothered me in that same realm was... The, the crossover, kind of what I was saying earlier, it's like 
the crossover. There was another love interest or girl. You know, Tom Cruise doesn't do love interest, right? Yeah, it's not Bond. So it's just another girl. But that's the thing. Like, we just immediately, the one died, and the next yes. thing was is, all right, you're initiated. Are you in? And guess what? Here's your new mask. Like, I, I, I t- dude, 100% agree. It was not handled with enough grace. Enough. Yeah. There was a moment where, and, and this is their thing. Again, when he runs up to her body and she's dead, he sees an image in his head of first this other person that died. Who we just learned of today. Exactly. First, so don't try to tell f- me yeah. that's the first place his mind goes. His mind's got to first go to her. Then it can flash back to the other girl. But don't try to act like this is not a relationship. And then it gives us one shot of him on the roof being like, oh, you know, I'm mm-hmm. doing it if you're not watching. Nice. Uh, Tebow style. But then you're right. Like the next sequence is like uh, Haley Atwell's character is processing it. Grace is processing it with the other crew. And then Tom walks in and says, like, you have a choice now. And then right away the music goes like, dun, 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 dun. and it's supposed to be this cool, like, now she's a part of the team. And I'm like, dude, we you just, just lost, lost Elsa. Her. Yeah. Like, we can't move on that fast. So that was my biggest gripe and my only gripe. Feels like a waste of a really great character, but too fast. It moved on too fast. I need to watch it again, but that's, I'll die in You that know way. what, Kyle? Let's just have you take a lap. Let's just have you take a lap. Let's, let's let you cool off for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a second. Uh, so those are my only three critiques. Would you agree or disagree with those? Completely agree with all three. You've always been very good at being so concise at, at what you think. When we got out of the movie theater, oh, guys. Thank you. Yeah. When we got out of the movie theater, there was this, this woman who was kind of with the screening process who immediately Kyle knew what to do, walk up to her, and he just started talking. I was like, do you know her? And he's just expressing himself. I'm like, what's going on? And he just he's just describing, you know, certain words and feelings that, you know, he knows they're going to ask in the first place. Like, hey, what did you feel about this? Or what were your thoughts? And instead, he just kind of gave him everything. And he just kind of knew how to flow it. And you just have a way with your <laughs> wow. getting what's in your heart and soul out into your mouth. This is really why impressive. I brought you on. That's right. Just to build you up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Another aspect I want to talk about, touch on here. Uh, yes. If you go back and watch all these, which I know you haven't recently, but the team that's put together in the first film, there's a little bit of a lack of chemistry, call it, because it's maybe, you know, 25 years old and that's dated a little bit and that's maybe part of it uh, coming up on 30 years old, I guess, 28. Uh, uh, there's maybe a little bit of that, but also in the first movie, the whole twist is, you know, he doesn't know who of his team to trust. Yeah. So that you don't get the, like, fun teamwork chemistry vibe that you have now. Uh, in the second and third movie, it's just not handled as well. One of the best improvements to four, five, six, and now seven. Am I saying that right? It is seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Rogue Nation's five, Fallout is six, and now Dead Reckoning is seven. Yeah, yeah. so seven. Yeah, yeah. But the big step up was to add Simon Pegg and have that percent. chemistry work so well. A thousand percent. And then in the most recent ones, to then bring back Luther, Ving Rhames. Had he not been in a few of these? He was not in, I th- again, don't quote me on this off the top of my head, he's not in Ghost Protocol. No way. But then he's brought back in Rogue Nation 5. When Christopher McQuarrie joined. Got it, it got back. it, got it. Uh, because member Ghost Protocol is Jeremy Renner. It's, oh, So it's my Jeremy gosh. Renner and then that other girl, um, I'm blanking on her name, Jane played by Paula Patton, and she does great. But I think 
especially starting there, that's when they finally put the finishing touches on the quote unquote mission impossible formula of like having a team that works well and a good vibe. And you're never really going into it from that point on wondering, is his team going to betray him? That's where like the double agent type stuff, they just stopped doing that. Instead, they tried to take a different approach of like, well, everyone in this circle can be trusted and it's the IMF team and that makes it different. But I feel like they've just mastered that chemistry now, like between Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames and Rebecca Ferguson and Tom. And now I I felt like Haley Atwell did great. She's a great fit. And, and she will fit great. Again, I'm, I'm only mad at her because of Rebecca dying. Yeah, she took but, over someone else that fits so well. Right, but she will fit great. Absolutely. I uh, mean, she's literally Captain America's wife. It's true, Peggy. Come on. Peggy. So overall, I think that the chemistry there is a huge ad. If you can't tell, I freaking loved it. I'm going to go back to another small detail. I loved not only the reveal of the AI, but the reveal that sometimes the AI was actually creepy. Like that first uh, bomb solving thing where Simon Pegg's character doesn't want to say it. That was so good. Yes. And then there actually wasn't a bomb. Okay. Let's talk about that for a second. So it's actually not the fear of the AI. It's the fear of like, of the AI actively. It's right now we're in the fear of what it can do. The movie starts out talking about how the AI comes through. Yes. It comes, leaves its fingerprints all around, but leaves. It, it infiltrates, you know, the security systems of all these defense departments. Good point. I forgot about but that. But then it leaves and they go, oh, what did it steal? What did it learn? It's like, it didn't do anything. It just came in and left. And th- that's the scary part. That's the part that's like, oh my God. Oh my God. Like what's, what's it going to do with all that info now? And same thing with that bomb. There was no real bomb. It just wanted to learn the information from uh, Simon Pegg, which then you're just like, oh, my God, how is this going to backfire? Luckily, it wasn't too bad later in the movie how it backfired. But But then, dude, the using of his voice later actually gave me chills. Yeah, that was insane. That was creepy. And it was so sad because you knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, splitting him up, and then he couldn't get there in time to help her. I got to circle back. I absolutely love Gabriel in this film. Really? Yeah, the concept of Gabriel. The fact that what's the what's that word in like English like you know oh the the personification oh of, come you. on now. hello hello oh, he's back right, we started baby. now it started let's go the personification of the AI was I honestly think perfect because he was pure evil he wasn't too robotic and yet he kind of was robotic in the right ways of even his movement did you kind of notice his movements yeah. kind of had this like martial arty perfectionist kind of thing to it. He wasn't like, just didn't move like a normal dude, but he was a normal dude. Right. It wasn't like brute strength or anything. And then what was nice is he had human emotions at the end when he killed our dude from the Princess Bride. (laughs) Hashtag never forget. (laughs) And then tried to kill his right-hand girl. That was very emotional. Those, those, those killings. Didn't you think? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Were there a little bit of the twists and turns that got a little bit confusing to like, did that scene hit as hard because you didn't maybe fully understand? Like I was a little bit confused at who was who for a second. That was a classic. That was a classic like mission impossible double agent moment where you're, you know, at the beginning of the movie dude from princess bride seemed like he didn't know anything that was going on. And Kittrick was the one who was teaching him everything. Princess bride. (laughs) Carrie Ellis. Right. But Uh, then he, but then in the end, we've come to learn when he's on, by the time he's on the train, you realize, oh, this dude knows more than Kittrick. He's running the whole show. He's known it all along. And Kittrick is almost slightly getting played. 
Only then to be killed, yeah. Only then to be killed. So let's let's just lay this all out there. Gabriel is a person of no country interest who just Correct. likes watching people suffer that the AI is protecting because he's he's doing the Do you AI's think we're gonna agenda. learn do we think we're gonna learn like the AI has Gabriel's family or like like no, he somehow brainwashed probably, him? What what's going on? <laughs> That's so funny you say that because well again, you listen to friends from work, but we talk a lot about how for a long time, villains were always just all bad, and you had to stop them. Think like Lord of the Rings. Like, yes, you never like resonate with Sauron. You're never like, oh, man. Correct. If Sauron just hadn't been abused as a child, then, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you had no history on Sauron. Just like, this is a bad guy. Then we went through the era of like, well, we need to show you the other side of it. So it's a gray area of villain, and we love that, too. Like, here's why he's doing this, or here's why she's feeling this way. Blah, blah. Right. And now I feel like both options are on the table again, and so- I think with this film, they're going to stick with he's just a bad he's just a bad dude. Like I don't think I need to know more about Gabriel. Like I don't think I we'll see that scene again. Well, I am curious. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Oh, okay, that's a good point. Like obviously there's a huge tie and we don't really know much about that from how him and Tom are tied together. Which are we missing something there or nope, was that nope, truly nope, original? Nope, that had yeah. nothing to do with Tom's original wife. No, that's a classic movie move where they like they drop in a brand new huge like thing that we're supposed to know, but we just learn it in that movie. But, you know, it's supposed to be so, it affects Tom Cruise so much. Yeah, which I hate. It, it, it's his first love's kill. Did you see that? Like, that was the point. Gabriel kills, like, the first woman he ever loved. And we were like, okay, now we learned that today. We also, he's been driven by protecting his other wife for forever. Exactly. So, yeah, you think he'd, he'd mention that one time. Like, this happened to me before. I give movies a hard time when they do stuff like that. But you got to imagine, like, how else are they going to introduce new plots and new yeah, right. anything if, if we don't allow them to make up crap in front of our eyes, you know, Fair point. in any one movie. But then let's just keep going through this because I want some clarification. Okay. Pom Clementiev's character, Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's go. So she is just working for Gabriel. Correct. As like a henchman. Yes. Until Ethan Hunt doesn't kill her. Correct. And so then he's, she's like starting to feel a little conflicted about it. And then in that sequence, that's what Gabriel said, right? That you are going to end up betraying me because... Ethan spared your life, correct? Absolutely. And then that actually did come true. And it came true. And she was she mourned the fact that he was right about it. She was almost mad about it. Which chills right now, actually. Yeah, that kind incredible. of actually only again, almost everything. Oh my god, that, dude. Yeah, everything he Gabriel's, said was gonna happen. Gabriel's infiltrated our brains. <laughs> That's what's happened. <laughs> the entity. The en- oh, we haven't said that word this whole thing. Oh, what's wrong with this whole time. Um and then Kitridge. Kitridge? How, how do I say that? Don't laugh at me. Let's go to the second <laughs> one. <laughs> okay. He kind of has his own agenda, right? So, like, he he is helping the IMF in a way, but yeah. he still ultimately wants the key for America's power, and that's where he and Ethan don't see eye to eye. But even at the very end, when Haley Atwell's character, Grace, says something to him, he still has to, like, respect Ethan's opinion. Is that, Did I get that right? Yeah, I think you're right. I think his he's playing, you know, okay, Tom Cruise and team, they're the real good guys, right? So then who's the the next level of bad guy? Not the full bad guy, that's the entity and Gabriel, but what's like the next level right, you know, level of good past Tom and team? It has to be Kidridge. So that's like the US government. They're always they're always after us, but you know what? They kind of have our back. And then the next level of bad we come to find is the guy who's running the central uh, intelligence agency, 
It, oh, oh, yeah. Right? Because at the beginning, we think he's dumb, dude from Princess Bride, but come to find out he's the bad guy, or a bad guy. And then the final level of bad is Gabriel in the entity. So with the spectrum of from kind of good to bad, I think Kidra sits kind of in the middle, but still airs towards the good. Makes sense? And, and we have uh, Alana, too, who's the white whatever. White widow. Who is also kind of serving her own purpose. And that's the thing. It's It's basically, if you had this ultimate trump card to everything how would everybody respond this is how ethan hunt would respond right. this is how the u.s government would respond this is how other computer entities would respond this is how other countries would respond an individual weapons dealer who's ultimately just looking out for herself i feel like that was all handled really well too absolutely i'm not praising this enough <laughs> I, I, I loved it so much please go back and watch all the other mission impossible films something you should I, too by the way I know I will after this. Something I wanted to turn to you and say during the movie was, I thought the pacing of this movie was outstanding. Oh, I love you said that. Do you know you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like the way it went from just amazing action to any quote unquote down moment never felt like, because I know we talked about how long this movie was, which it was, but it never felt like ugh, these down moments are just too down. It always felt like it, the story was like, building towards something i never felt too lost i felt i was in it the whole time and then boom when we're ready to go for the next you know big hit scene the next car chase the train the train run the club scene i mean one after another after another just watching tom cruise run (laughs) that that's where i was talking to somebody the other day and they said this and i don't know if they meant this as offensively as it came off but they said something like I was talking about seeing Dead Reckoning. They're like, oh, yeah, like Fast and the Furious. And it got me thinking a lot about that uh, because it's another long Immediately you took that as an insult? Like, how could you? Well, I mean, I'm not saying all of Fast and the Furious is bad. Uh, But I think that that's an interesting thing because Mission Impossible just, as we said, sets itself apart from those in so many ways. Like, you have all the action and you have all these visuals that are crazy. And, and you you could probably just go watch a Mission Impossible film just for that reason, just to see the creative action sequences and see Tom Cruise do a ton of the stunts and have it feel real visceral. Then you have this incredible score by Lauren Balf, which listeners of Friends from Work know I talk about all the time. I'm becoming obsessed with him. Go check out his work on Black Widow. Hmm. Go check out his work on Top Gun Maverick. Here, the, this trailer, by the way, the way he works in the Mission Impossible theme, I'm, I'm loving it. So you have, that's a top-notch. The visuals are top-notch. The action's a top-notch. But I feel like one thing that sets us apart is even though you could come to just watch for the action pieces, you still get top-notch performances with actual plot that has thought and care and meaning. Tom thought about all those other things, but him and Christopher still thought of a plot that would work, that would age well, that hit people with what they're thinking about now, mostly make sense and be coherent throughout the whole thing. I think my one word I should have given them when I walked into the theater was thoughtful. Thoughtful. That's what this movie was. was Extremely thoughtful. thoughtful. Like everything was thought through. If you are, if I am going to disparage the Fast and Furious franchise, I think you are right. There's plenty of moments that just make you go, what? Right. What? Like, not thoughtful at all. This, I mean, movie after movie after movie, we've had four or five bangers in a row that just every bit of it is thoughtful. And especially if you're going to make a two-parter and try to compete with, you know, the end game of sorts, years apart Mm -hmm. or a year apart, putting, I mean, Mm -hmm. 
extremely thoughtful. They've set it up marvelously. Like, I have no idea where it's going, and yet I have no doubt that, I mean, it's going to end so well. The the ultimate bad guy, which is this entity situation, genius. So far, this Gabriel guy, he's played it perfectly. This can go, let's just say... The sky's the limit, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Why do you keep saying that? You kept telling me that. You think you saw a stunt of him in I'm space? pretty sure. Dude's been practicing jumping out of a spaceship or something in space. I'm not kidding. Don't give me the face. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Just like we all knew about the, the bike ramp trick <gasps> oh, for wait. months leading up. We all seen every angle, including his nostril hair angle. I mean, every single angle. I'm telling you, there is some space thing coming. Really quickly, it. we have to bring that up briefly. We okay. talked about the Thoughts. visual being a little bit off at yeah. the train sequence. Are you Just thinking what I'm thinking? Which, by the way, the train, the train sequence was still so much no, fun. No, no, no. It was 90,000 times amazing yes. and like two yes. times not So you good. tell me what you said in the car then. Okay, listen. We all saw th- the moment where, you know, the YouTube videos and the, the ads they put, a, I think the Super Bowl and stuff, like they showed Tom Cruise going off of the huge ramp off the mountain on the motorbike, and then doing the parachute. First of all, genius idea. Only one man on earth can do this. It's It's just, it is what it is, and it's so awesome. I'm so glad they incorporated it. Yep. The issue is, is when you're going to show me this so much, and I'm going to analyze it the way, you know, a guy like me might analyze it. Well, yeah, when you're you're showing us, yeah. Yeah, you're showing us, and they showed you, like, quite literally 20 angles, maybe? Yeah. There's drones, and there's so many cameras, and there's a camera on on him, there's a camera on... The bike and everything. The issue is, is when the movie came, they replaced the ramp with the mountainside that he's supposed to be launching off of. Yet, Which was clearly jagged. Yet, yeah, in the movie, it's a jagged thing, and he's, like, trying to traverse it, and he's going up, and he's supposed to be bouncing around because that's what visually it looked like should be doing. Yeah. But you know in real life, and you kind of can tell in re- on it's in the movie. It's too smooth. It's too smooth. And that that was just off to me. And honestly, I was like, we saw that so many times. If we probably hadn't seen the behind the scenes, you probably wouldn't even a have thousand percent. About I wouldn't have thought it. I wouldn't have thought a second of it. And to be fair, like like any other stunt that I've seen behind the scenes of his, like him when he climbs the Abu Dhabi or the Dubai huge building, like yeah. I know he had a huge rope attached to him, and and he he was safe. He wasn't just climbing it raw, right? Like I get that. And so when I saw the behind the scenes, I see it in the movie. Oh, where's the rope? Oh, I'm supposed to believe he's just climbing. I get that. That could be an argument. No, but, it's a little different. But though. this just is different. I don't know why. Like something well, felt off. That's a practical thing. I feel like they missed. Don't you think they could have like CGI that was just a little bumpy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if it was just bumpy, or like maybe it was like an abandoned ramp that was like a, an abandoned train track or something. Oh, up there? I don't know. Something, <laughs> maybe not that. <laughs> something could have worked a little a spaceship more. Spaceship that he jumps out of. That's what I'm saying. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, how we like to end every screensaver episode. Well, by the way, anything else that we missed? I freaking loved it. You loved it. Yeah, I think we're in the moment of just like, I don't know what to say. It's just so good. It is. I I don't like endorsing too many movies, but this movie is like absolutely worth. I think everyone knows you should have seen Top Gun in the movies, movie theaters. Yes, you should see this one in the movie theater. Good point. Not just watching it. I thought about that because it was so visceral for us. It's one of those things where I was thinking, if I was watching this on a laptop screen and it wasn't turned up enough, would it hit me the same? Oh, I mean, dude, that Dolby Cinema sound thing <laughs> added Shout massively. Out AMC. <laughs> let's go. Added massively to this experience, which okay. only tells me like you, you like you have to go. You might need to sp- spend the extra for it and just go yeah. watch it in this higher end audio thing. 
you need the audio to be incredible. We end every screensaver episode with uh, a question. What is your lasting image, your lasting screenshot, if you will, of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Stephen Matthew? You're the guest here. When you think about this movie in three weeks, what is still going to be lingering in your head? That is an honor. I appreciate you letting me go first. You can, you know, Robbie and I sometimes cheat with a few. I think I can't deny the part will be the moment when they are evading the piano falling on them. Really? There was something so enjoyable. I think I, if you remember, you might not because I did it so many times, but I was so giddy about that moment. I just, I literally went, I love this movie. And I like slapped my legs. There was like, as he's still trying to figure out how to get across of it and she hasn't jumped yet, I'm screaming like, I love this movie. And the tiny bit of little chemistry and humor that she's like not letting yes, go. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like that was very enjoyable to me. That's probably yeah. what I'm picturing. And an emotional moment there that works when he's like, you have to freaking jump. Remember yeah. that? Like it's going to be too late. I, I bought that whole thing, by the way. I bought that chemistry with him being like, I will protect you. Yes. Even to the very end when yes. she's like, you have to go. And he's got this look on his face like, Ugh! like I will protect you. <laughs> and he jumps out. You know what I mean? Dude, I bought you, that. Sorry, you know what else will stick with me is a line in the movie. He says, I promise you, I will value your life more than mine. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. When he's trying to convince her to join like yes. their group. I thought that was really powerful. I don't think he's ever said that before. Zero. But to get cheesy, is that his actions have always shown that. Like in Rogue Nation, when Benji's got a bomb on him, he's not willing to just sacrifice benji for That's this right. mission and he's the one that kind of helped save elsa faust in the first place because even when it was gray area i mean even the way he treats grace here at first when she's constantly like pickpocketing him and locking him to the steering wheel like he doesn't give up on her really never that's what makes ethan hunt a fun character and a little bit different than james bond who i love i'm not i'm not critiquing mm -hmm. but there's a sincerity to ethan hunt that i think is it's partially tom cruise and it's partially written. It, 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 you leave feeling a little bit like you did after Maverick, where it's like it. You feel good about him as a, like that's the whole point of Ethan from from the first movie. Whenever he's forced with a decision that's for the greater good, you know, he's not willing to sack. It's very, it's very Captain America. Robbie and I talk about this a lot, right? Mm. Like comparing just for you, you know, Tony Stark is willing to have some things go bad for the greater good of all of Earth and all of humanity. Right. Like, if we have to lose a few people, but it means saving everybody. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, Spider-Man and Captain America... Have to they save can't, everybody. They can't, they can't afford to emotionally lose somebody. So there's pros and cons to both that, but Ethan Hunt's kind of always been that way, and I love that. I love the sincerity in the character. My lasting image... It's it's so weird to think about that dance club sequence so much, you know, because that's not like the crux of the film. But I am thinking about them all talking. I actually, at that I might disagree. I think it was the crux of the film. I like think the decisions made, out. the decisions made up there when he goes, "You're gonna have to choose between this girl or this girl." Yeah, true. And uh, Gabriel gets let past the guards, and so now he's on the other side. And Tom, uh, Ethan Hunt's trying to get to him. Maybe it was and she, she uh, the White Widow, allows that all to happen. And he's like, you made a huge mistake. And 
I think it was the crux of the whole film. I thought it was a masterful scene. That's a good point. I think that's what I'm still thinking about, even though that's not the biggest action set. Or mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's my answer. Well, because I'm thinking, too, like the ramp, you're right. Like Because I've seen that so many times, that, that ramp off is not like what I thought It was of. supposed to be like the biggest action moment, but luckily right. there's plenty of other incredible things going on. Yep. That train scene, I mean, dude. The train scene was awesome, but that's not where my brain's going right now. I'm not thinking about the car chase, which was awesome. That's okay, not three, two, and, and the very, very one. beginning. What are you thinking of? That sequence. But lastly, just a quick shout out. The, the two opening scenes couldn't have grabbed me anymore either. It's just so long ago now. But the AI sub thing in the beginning, and then I loved the sand fight with Ilsa just picking people off and then finally reuniting like, gosh. And then, oh, oh, lastly, lastly, sorry. You said, doesn't every movie start with like Ethan taking a mask, taking off. A mask off? And, yeah. and I was like, well, not everyone, but it is like a running thing. And then as I was finishing that, he, he pulls takes the off. mask. I love the way they, they did that. I genuinely didn't know who that was. Correct. I thought that guy was a, just a bad dude and was going to set off a bomb or something and kill like, you know, all the intelligent agency yeah. people of the country. Total red herring because in the trailer, that's like one of the main shots. Boom, boom. And it's going bomb, bomb, bomb. And you totally think it's like a terrorist attack. You never oh. would have thought that's Tom Cruise's character. Interesting. So, wow. Overall, I'm somewhere in the mid-90s in my brain. It's a let's freaking go plus. It's like a... 9.4 out of 10, somewhere up there for me. What about for you? for you? Just your gut. Oh, my gosh. I get to do this. Yeah, somewhere up there. This is a let's freaking go plus. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I would give it a 96. Go see this in theaters. I guess if you're listening to this, you probably did, but go back and catch up on these other Mission Impossible films. I don't think you'll regret it. Steven, what an absolute honor to have you on No, here. no, no, no. This is my honor oh, here we go. to be had. This here we is go. absolutely incredible. Thank Any closing you. words? What should uh, our audience know about you? Oh, they don't need to know anything. Just <laughs> grateful that I love you. I'm so uh, appreciative to Robbie for yes. you and him making such a cool place that is uh, these airwaves. And Did uh, you ever live in this house with Robbie at the same time? Yeah. You oh, did. yeah. Robbie and I were roommates for yeah. a year or two. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Gosh, those are the days, and what a good group of guys there for a while. Yeah, we're lucky, folks. Got to build the studio together. Yeah. We got to do a lot together. There, there's so much we can tell people that no one will care about, but Steven was part of my original studio build-out. That's right. And helping we, me. We did it all. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening, wherever you may be and however you may be listening. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back here soon discussing more of the summer blockbusters right back here on Screensaver.